So Romans 7 from 13. Did that which is good then became death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as a sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have to desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretch man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Amen. Great job, Glada, with that tricky passage. So let's pray for the message. Lord God, thank you for freeing up our schedules to be here. And now we ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts as to the multifaceted level message that you're going to be giving us. It can be hitting us in many different ways, depending on where we are. And I would pray right now that uh, the message would be clear from Pastor Andes. Bless him with the gift that you've given him in teaching us right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you very much, um, Roberts, for praying and Vlada for reading. Uh, it is a real joy for me to welcome you. It's great to see those who I haven't seen for some time, and great to welcome some visitors who are with us for the first time. Um, um, it is so good to be in the church. Now, a newly born Christian once complained about his conversation with a more mature Christian. He said, well, I was asking this man about what it's like to be a Christian. And he replied to me, oh, it's a total bloodbath, a daily struggle and fight with sin. And it often seems you won't make it. Well, it's not something we expect to hear, right? It's not a great trailer for someone who is exploring Christian faith and kind of what it's like to be Christian, what what does it mean to be Christian. Um, 
It's something that we don't expect to hear. But if we're honest, those who, of us who are Christian, does it not describe our experience as Christians? Sometimes doing the right thing and pleasing God seems almost impossible. Lust, laziness, pride, anger, gossip, envy, indifference seem like an overwhelming force. It often feels like a, you know, a mountain river that just carries you down with its stream. And on the flip side, doing good, serving, supporting, being patient, generous, and blessing others can feel incredibly hard. You know, like an uphill trail that is just too steep to walk. Does it not often describe our Christian experience, if we think about it? Why is it sometimes just so hard to do the right thing? Why is it so hard to please God? I mean, we don't want it to be hard, right? We don't want to uh, covet another person's house or another person's wife or husband. You know, we don't want to be jealous when our friends succeed at work or, or studies. We don't want to be insecure when we are facing criticism. Not that it's easy to give a constructive criticism. I don't want to be selfish with the things that God has given me. I don't want to snap at my children when they are misbehaving. I don't want to discourage other people by pointing out their faults. On the contrary, I want to be known as encouraging, as generous, kind, and joyful, and humble. We all want to be famous for being like that, don't we? So, why is it often so hard? Why can't we be the people that we actually want to be? Well, in the language of Romans, why can't we just stand on the resurrection ground that Jesus has put us on? Reckoning ourselves dead to sin, alive to God, and serving him and others in Christ Jesus. Well, if you were not with us last week because it was minus 20 or plus 26, depending on where you come from, we started to think about that. We were looking for a way to de-sin our lives in 2024. And we saw that the rules will not cut it. Was, it. was it the law's fault? No, the law shines light on sin and makes it clearly visible. The law is good, Paul said. The problem is that sin kidnapped the law, deceived me, and brought death to me. And now Paul asks a question, maybe his opponents ask a question, did that which is good then brought death to me? And Paul says no. 
Paul underlines it one more time in verse 13, if you want to look at it, verse 13, that sin used what is good to bring about my death. And that just proves how sinful sin is. To borrow Paul's marriage analogy from the last week, that is why our release from our first husband, the law, was good. The law couldn't save us. And of course, that raised great expectations for our new marriage to Jesus, didn't it? In verse 4, a risen fruit-bearing people on whose hearts the Spirit has written God's law. Great expectations in our new marriage to our new husband, Jesus. But what about delivery? Remember how a lot of you nodded at the end of last week's, the last week's sermon but what about my actual experience? So why is it so hard to be who you are? A risen, fruit-bearing you. Always, who always does the right thing. Now where is the problem? Where is the problem? And our passage basically says... I am the problem. I am the problem. Well, glance with me in verse 24 of chapter 7. Here is Paul's bottom line. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Or NIV that is subject to death. The reason I can't be me a risen, fruit-bearing God-pleaser is this body of death. I'm going to make three points from verse 24 that will cover our passage. And at the end, I'll, I'll draw three implications. So hopefully we'll move through the, the points quickly and kind of apply that in the end a bit more extensively. Okay? So firstly, firstly... Let's look at a problem. Our bodies, our bodies are the bodies of death. Which is another way of saying that our bodies are slowly dying. Our bodies are corruptible. Just a few verses from our section of Romans where Paul refers to our bodies as being mortal. Look with me. Look with me at chapter 6 and verse 12. 6 verse 12 in the section. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that ye obey its evil desires. Glance at, again at verse 24 of, of, of chapter 7. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And next week, stealing slightly from next week, verse 10, 8 verse 10, even though your body is dead, ESV, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So, so on its own, this shouldn't be great news to us. 
Neither should it cause any controversy. It's plain and clear. We observe how our bodies are aging. Some of us have gone through a surgery fairly recently, more recently. Every week here at Grace, we pray for ourselves, we pray for our friends, relatives here and abroad who are sick. Our bodies are getting sick. They are getting slower. When I wake up um, in the morning and I go to wake up my children for school, the thing that I observe is how Timmy and Alma are able to get out of the second floor of their bunk beds in just two seconds. Now, if I attempted that in the morning when I just wake up, I would end up with a concussion. Of course, um, to be fair, I wrote this thing on Thursday, which is no more true in our house because Timmy now sleeps on the first floor of the two-floor bunk bed because he managed to break his leg in a weekend. So no more two-second get out. It takes approximately 30 seconds to get to bathroom for this guy today. Uh, but anyways, the point, point being, our bodies are getting slower even when you're 10, even when you are, you know, teens and so on. All that is to say, our bodies, our bodies are mortal. There will come a day when all our bodies will return to dust. We know that. Unless God intervenes in a miraculous way, this will happen. And guys, again, this should not be controversial to us. There is no way around death. No way. Our bodies are dying. So that's the first thing. We need to be clear about the bodies. But secondly, we see that this death, this death that Paul talks about, is primarily spiritual. The death is spiritual. Look again at verse 24. Wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The point is that we are not just physically dying. Paul says, we are wretched. Well, this is something that we see very clearly, right, in our passage. Well, let's take a look at a number of verses where Paul talks just about that. And just for us to be clear, Paul points here to our old nature. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, and I be unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. And verse 24 again, whatever wretched man I am. And Paul goes on to describe the experience of this spiritual death. For I have the desire to do what is good. I think it was 18. But I cannot carry it out. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to. But the evil I do not want to. That I keep doing. Now, isn't Paul describing, actually, our experience in the bodies of death? 
as you listen to it, do we not also experience sort of spiritual inability to do good? You know, you know what you should do. You know that. You understand that with your mind. But you can't because sin dwells in you. Well, sin, Paul says, is really deep-seated. It is in your DNA. Uh, actually, Paul uses another language. It is in your bones and your members. Paul says that sin is so firmly fixed to my members that when God's law reaches out and meets my members, the law which is good, it becomes the law of sin. And it produces death. Well, here's a little example. I remember when, when our children, they were really young. So Timmy must have been four, I think. And that means the girls were two, approximately. And there we were in Lutzafsala. You know, you know, a great place for Grace Church picnics in summer. Lutzafsala. And um, we know we had our hands full with our twins, two-year-olds, you know, running around, barely. And so I said to Timmy, who was four, I said, Right, please keep in our sight in the playground... Just stay in the playground. And I don't have to tell you, right, what happened next. In literally a few minutes, an unfamiliar woman brought Timmy to me and said, Do you know where he was? No, I replied. At the river. You know, she could almost shouted at me. And to which I replied, well, that is weird. I told him not to go there. Well, I don't know how the conversation ended. I think she just kept staring at me as if I didn't have all right, you know, all right with me. Um, she thought I'm really weird. Uh, aside from my really horrible parenting, of course, when the commandment reaches the members, it becomes the law of sin. It inevitably carries us to death, into death, or into Daugava, whatever it might be, the form of it, it doesn't matter. It, that's what it does. It's still a good law. It's a very good law. But good law plus spiritually dead members equals sin, equals death. In fact, I think there is a negative progress in our passage today. The law doesn't bring death to me. The law shows the death that's already there. It's a negative progress. So, guys, our bodies are bodies of death. And that death is spiritual. It should not surprise us in any way. These bodies age and these bodies die. It's what they do. And these bodies, they sin. It's just what they do. He could say that it is a body of sin and death. So first, our bodies die. Second, our bodies sin. 
And third, by the way, this too shouldn't be controversial, really, but as we'll see, many people find it controversial. Here is the, the third thing. Christians are still in the body. Christians are in the body. And so this brings us to some of the difficulty with chapter 7. You see some, some Christians take Paul to be referring to his past experience when he wasn't Christian. You know, despite Paul using present tense all the time in, in the second half of 7, some say, no, 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 Paul is, it can't be true. Paul is referring to his past so when Paul talks about sinful nature when in the present, when Paul talks about prisoner of the law of sin, a wretched man, they say he is talking about you know, a general human condition before believing in Jesus. That's where the controversy starts. In the language of Romans 5, you know, he's talking about our Adam nature. Adam nature. Oh, that is past. Now you could understand why some would say that, right? We can understand why the tension is there. After all, Paul has been very vocal about our break with sin, hadn't he? Hadn't he? You know, through dying with Jesus, it's a big break with sin. Adam no longer represents us. He's not our representative. Jesus is our representative now. So we must now live to him. But friends, think again. To live for Jesus, we must in our mortal bodies. Here again, chapter 6, verse 12 Command, therefore, do not let sin reign, where? In your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil desires. The command is there, it is clear. And you would think, right, chapter 8, chapter 8 brings a decisive solution. Kind of we, we wait for the good news of chapter 8. It is true, we will see again in chapter 8, as we did in chapter 5, that Christians now have the Spirit. It's, it's an immense news. We enjoy peace with God. There is no condemnation. We are called to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Good news, a lot of good news. And yet, Christians do it all. Chapter 8, verse 10 in their dead bodies. Well, the thing is, guys, that it's not that in chapter 7 we don't have dead bodies anymore. But now, now we have new mind that wants to obey God and have, you know, we have come to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And that is all by faith. By faith we stand firm already on the resurrection ground. But our bodies, yes. This body is still 
on its way to death. It is drawn to death. This body loves death. And it is why it is still very much up for bearing fruit for death. Well, think mobile phones. I mean, just to help us to kind of picture that. Think mobile phones nowadays. The companies, companies they push new software up, updates or upgrades. Um, and these new software upgrades, you know, they are supposed to make our lives quicker. They are supposed to make our lives more productive, more well-connected. But what's annoying about it in order for the new software updates to work properly, you need a new hardware. Way too often, new hardware, you have to eventually buy a new device. That's how they make their profit. Well, guys, welcome to Christian life. That is our Christian life, essentially. You have a new software designed for Jesus, a new heart full of resurrection life. This new heart trusts in the gospel of Jesus, trusts in the, the resurrection of Jesus. This new heart loves Jesus. And this new heart even makes your mouth sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. And Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us on me. This heart stands firm on the resurrection ground, longing to glorify him, to please him and to do what is right, genuinely. And then there is the old outdated hardware. Yes, you, you, you guessed right, our dead body. A device that is designed for Adam to do what Adam does best. And you know what Adam does best? Sin and die. That's what he does best. Sin and die. Well, here is the line that, guys, none of us want to hear today. Until Jesus comes back, this is the body you will going to have. That's it. We're stuck. And this is what Paul himself concludes in verse 25b, in the second half of verse 25. Look up with me. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. It's not a too encouraging ending, right? But let's pull things together. It is a body of death. This death is spiritual. And we will continue to live in our bodies. And Paul says it is a normal Christian experience. Now, I think it really, really matters that we see it clearly, that we are realistic about our bodies and the Christian life in those bodies. And there are three reasons why we need to be very clear 
what it means to be Christian in this world. So let me try to apply and pull things together here. Firstly, the clarity on that, it protects us from disappointment and discouragement. I don't know if you sympathized with this newly born Christian earlier, um, you know, his expectations of what Christian life is all about. They were very, very different from what he heard from a more mature Christian. He thought that living with Jesus will be all about joyful triumph all day, every day. Being blessed constantly and blessing others. You know, being the hands and feet of Jesus all day, every day. And that is, don't mishear me, that is a very good desire to have. The one that we all must have. If that is your expectation of Christian life, then you will have those good days. You will. You will be blessed in order to bless others. You know, kind of really consciously setting apart time to meet up with someone, listen to them, pray with them, encourage them, support them in in various ways. You will have these good days, guys. Definitely. But on the rest of the days, you will be often left wondering why this is so hard. Why why does it feel often so hard? Why does it often feel that nothing has changed in my life? In the past month or so, I have been listening to this podcast by an older American pastor and um, a younger British pastor. The podcast is called You're Not Crazy. Initially, kind of the subtitle is kind of gospel sanity for weary pastors. But anyways, um, you're not crazy. And I was struck by how um, in one of the episodes, this 70-plus-year-old American pastor said, how he confessed that in terms of Christian maturity, he thinks that he's in his teenage years. Now, initially, you would say, well, how is that encouraging, you know? If he says that in his his teenagers, I must be in my nappies or kind of barely born, you know? Um, How is that encouraging? Well, because on most days, I would be tempted to think that nothing has changed in my life. If I keep sinning, then nothing must have happened to me. And so you get disappointed. In your battle with sin, you just get disappointed. But that is, guys, that is far from true. Don't be disappointed. A total miracle has happened to you if you believe in Jesus. The Spirit of Christ has been given to you, and the Spirit has given you a new mind. Now you believe that Jesus is the Lord. You believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead. You believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. You you see, your mind 
Your mind has already crossed through to the resurrection grounds. Your mind already is walking down the green pastures and the golden streets of the new creation. It's already there. Your inner being, your new man, it's there in the new Jerusalem. But not your body. Not your body. One day you will have a new resurrection body. You will. But not yet. So don't be surprised. Don't be disappointed when you find it hard to do the right thing and to please God. Don't be disappointed. But secondly, it's really important, again, to be clear about our, the expectations of our Christian life so that we get protected against liars. Because there are liars out there. You know, those people, they will pretend that they have found a secret to a new spirit-empowered life where obedience is it's like breathing. It's so easy. In every century, there have been people who pretend to have reached sinless perfection and look down on other Christians who say, hey, it's almost impossible. It's impossible. I love the stories from um, the, you know, the famous Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon. Now, here are a couple of very kind of short anecdotal um, um, illustrations from him. Um, you know, the, the first half is always the same. You know, this, this person comes to Spurgeon and, and, and says, you know, hey, pastor, I have reached the sinless, the state of sinless perfection. Um, and in one of those instances, it was a man. And so Spurgeon said, right. And what would your wife say? And that kind of puts it to rest, right? What would your wife say? And um, so the other one is the other one. Again, the person comes to Spurgeon and says, hey, the pastor, I have reached the, the state of sinless perfection. And Spurgeon sat and he just leaned took the glass, and don't worry, I'm not going to do it, took the glass and just poured on a person's head. And of course, there was this outburst, kind of anger, what are you doing? And Spurgeon just said, ha, I knew that the old devil was somewhere there deep inside, and it just took a glass of water to bring him out. That is amazing how it all comes back to the obedience of law, isn't it? Kind of the sinless perfection teaching higher spirituality. And that is why Paul was trying to protect the Roman Christians from this sort of teaching. You know, there were some who suggested, actually, that the law is the easy way to produce fr fruit from God. Just do what it says, you know, and you'll bear fruit. You know, there will be people today who pretend to have found the key to a higher spiritual life. And it is all about do's. It's all about don'ts. 
they are equally upsetting and making everyone feel like a second half, sorry, second class Christian. So unless unless these people are already in their resurrection bodies, you know, that kind of dazzling white and walking through the closed doors, I suggest they are liars. They're liars who are living in denial that they are still in their mortal bodies. But thinking clearly about normal Christian experience, guys, uh, in our mortal bodies, it protects us. It protects us, really, from, firstly, disappointment, from liars, and thirdly, probably most importantly, it encourages us that we still can bear fruit for God, even living in our mortal bodies. So you can bear fruit for God. But how? How? Well, we have seen this already, right? Not by trying to do the right thing. If we could desperately try to do the right thing, we're doomed to fail. Everyone who's tried doing this have failed and actually have grown bitter towards God and even hating God. And wasn't it Martin Luther who could testify to it really well? At some point he's, I just hate God. I can't do it all. Why does he tell me to do it all if I can't do it all? And so he hated God until Jesus shined his light on him. If we have learned anything from Romans about pleasing God, it ought to be this. You only bear fruit for God by walking in faith. Like Abraham. Let's remember Abraham. I only grew to appreciate this now as I got to chapter 7. And I was confronted with my mortal body of death and sin. Now, what's with Abraham? In spite of what Abraham believed um, in the promise of God, in spite of what, sorry, wrong emphasis, in spite of what Abraham believed in the promise of God, in spite of what his faith strengthened and he gave glory to God, in spite of what what did he face? What was Abraham up against? Now, our instinctive answer would be that Abraham was up against unbelief, right? I mean, he was struggling with believing. Or maybe Abraham was up against the devil. That would be a popular answer. But chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says clearly what Abraham was up against. Listen, without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was good as dead. Isn't that interesting that Paul goes back to Abraham's body being as good as dead? Abraham believed in God who raises the dead. 
we do believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, don't we? And we believe that we belong to Jesus. And so Paul models what it means to live in the body of death and yet glorify God. What does it mean, verse 25? Look with me. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Avi kind of puts this, the sentence in that's not there in the, original, in, the, in the original, who delivers me. Of course, he delivers me, just not there. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's our response. So guys, next time, next time, meaning very briefly later today, when instead of being patient, caring, serving, generous, attentive, you catch yourself being lazy, irritated, selfish, and so on, do this. And with, with this, I'm going to close. Do this. And maybe don't do this alone. Maybe in the future, find two others from the church that you can chat through those things regularly. But do this together. Encourage one another with those words. This is going to be a short prayer. Again, when we face ourselves living in mortal bodies, let's do this. Let's say, thank you, God, for giving me a new mind and heart that wants to please you and wants to serve you. Thank you for giving me new heart and mind that wants to serve others. But I can't because of this body of death. Please, by your Spirit, help me prevent the reign of sin in my mortal body. Please help me offer myself to you as one whom you have brought from death to life until Jesus comes and you raise my mortal body from the dead to be a perfect body that obeys you perfectly. Why not keep in mind those truths the next time we face that we live in those bodies still as Christians? Bless you.